Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you here this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 14 again this morning. And we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 34, uh, yeah, 13 through 36. And the title of the message is Doing the Impossible. Matthew 14, 13 through 36. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desert place. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is over. Send the crowds away to go into the village and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground, and taking the five loaves... And the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave thanks and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the twelve, uh, took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men besides women and children. Immediately he made the disciples get out, get into the boat And go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed the crowd, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, when he came to them, walking on the sea... But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and waited and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all the region and brought to him all that were sick and implored him that he might only touch the friend of his garment and as many as touched it were made well. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the proclamation of his word. You often hear people say, and I hear it said a lot, God never gives you anything more than you can handle. But I want you to know that statement is not true. That is not a true statement. God will often allow you to go through circumstances and difficulties and trials that can and will overwhelm you you if you only deal with those things in your own wisdom and strength. Why does God put us through things that we'll not be able to handle in our wisdom and strength? Because He wants us to turn to Him. And rely on Him. 
And he wants us not to rely on our own wisdom and strength, but he wants us to rely on his presence, his power, his wisdom and strength. He wants to show himself mighty in our lives. And so he'll give us things that we can't handle in order that we might turn to him and see his wisdom and power and know his presence. Paul was given a weakness to test him. He says a messenger of Satan to harass him and to keep him from becoming proud of his spirituality. And Paul asked the Lord to remove it. I don't want to deal with this, Lord. And what was God's answer? God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. God was saying to Paul, you can't handle it, Paul. And, but God said, I will give you my grace and my presence, and it will be enough for you to be able to work through it, to, to be able to handle it. And so God will test us with trials that cause us to depend on him. He doesn't want us to depend on ourselves, but he wants us to depend on him and his power and his presence and his wisdom and strength. And there are also times that God will give us assignments and ministry that without his presence and power and his working through us would be impossible. And so he does that to teach us And to help us to know that we are weak, but he is not weak. He is strong. He is able to work through whatever comes uh, in and through our lives. Now, in Matthew 14, we see Jesus feeding thousands with a few loaves and fishes. And when we see him walking on a lake uh, to his disciples, Jesus is doing things in Matthew 14 that nobody else could do. Nobody else could do the things that Jesus is doing in Matthew 14. Jesus is making a statement about who he is. Jesus is saying to Israel, he is the the one they have waited for, the Messiah and Savior that is to come. Jesus is saying that to the crowd. He is saying also as he walks on the water and he calls Peter out to come to him, he is the Lord of nature. Uh, He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the eternal I am, the one and only Son of God who is worthy of worship. And Jesus is doing these things in Matthew 14 that no one else can do to show that he himself is God the Son and Savior of the world. From this passage of Scripture, we see this empowering truth that Jesus works through the weaknesses of people who turn to him to show his power and reveal the greatness and glory of God. Jesus works through the weaknesses of people who turn to him to show his power and reveal the greatness and glory of God. I want us to look at a couple things a little closer from Matthew 14 and learn from them. First of all, Jesus gives... There. Jesus gives his children impossible tasks to show he's God of the impossible. Now... We remember last week Jesus had heard about the death of John the Baptist. And we also learned from the other Gospels that just about the time Jesus heard about the execution of John the Baptist, his apostles came back from, his 12 apostles came back from their first mission of being sent out. And they were weary and Jesus was weary and and his emotions, uh, you know, he was was weary as, as a man 
and uh, hearing this horrible thing about John and his disciples had been on this uh, mission where they labored, uh, labored, and so they were weary. So they got into a boat, and they tried to get away by themselves for some rest. They got into a boat, they went to the other side of the lake. But the only time they really had to rest was the time from one shore to the other. Because by the time they got to the other shore, the crowds had recognized where Jesus was going. And they had walked around the lake in order uh, to, uh, to, uh, to see Jesus and hear him and have him heal people. Um, even though Jesus and his disciples needed rest, he had compassion on this crowd. And the scripture says he began to heal the sick in the crowd. And Matthew emphasizes Jesus healing the sick. In fact, from now on, Matthew will not emphasize Jesus teaching the big crowds. Mark tells us a little bit that Jesus taught the crowds. But Matthew's making a point that Jesus basically had said all to the crowds who, who by that time, and especially the leadership, who were rejecting him. And so he's helping the crowds, but he's not teaching the crowds. And then we read as he is helping and healing the crowds... He performs uh, the miracle that the only miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels, the miracle of uh, feeding the the, the five thousand. Evening came as Jesus was healing and doing his work, and his disciples came to Jesus and said, "You got to send this crowd away because we're in a desolate place, and uh, and and they need to eat." And and and. Uh, you know, you got to send them away so they can find food. And then Jesus gave them this command. He said, they don't need to go away. You feed them. And the command is emphatic. You feed them. Jesus said, they don't have to go away. You are to feed them. Now the apostles heard that command. And they knew it was something beyond their power to accomplish. They could not feed this crowd with the resources, with what they had. This crowd was massive. Now, we call it the feeding of the 5,000, but the scripture says that was only counting the men. If you count the women and the children were there, there could have been 15,000 people or more uh, listening and, and uh, being healed and ministered to by Jesus. And Jesus said to his 12 apostles, you feed the crowd. Now, what would you say? The apostles uh, said, well, we only have five loaves and, uh, and a, few, uh, a few fishes, basically five biscuits and some sardines. The, the, what they had was the lunch, we know from the Gospel of John, of a small boy. And they said, that's all we've got. They made an excuse, and to me it sounds like a pretty good excuse. Uh, they don't have the resources to do this. They were saying, Lord, we cannot do this. We don't have the resources to feed this massive crowd. Now, you think Jesus knew that or not? Of course he knew that. Jesus also knows, and you need to know, that whatever Jesus commands to be done, he also provides the resources and the power for it to be done. Whatever Jesus commands to be done, he also provides the resources and the power for it to be done. Jesus said to his apostles, bring those, bring those loaves and fish to me. Uh, then Jesus looked, uh, Jesus says, what do you got? Bring it to me. Jesus always says to us, what can you, what can you bring? 
And if we lay what we have before Jesus, he takes what we give him, whatever that might be. And he does things that we could not have imagined being done when we surrender what we have to him. What do you possess? Lay it before Jesus. Jesus took the lot five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and he said a blessing like a man would bless uh, the meal for his family. And it probably it was really a blessing not really directed toward uh, uh, asking blessing on the food. It's probably the Jewish blessing that they would say often. Uh, Blessed art you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. He blessed the food. He blessed God for providing this food. And then he began to break it. And he broke the loaves and divided the fish. He gave them to the apostles and they distributed them among the crowd. The scripture says they all ate, every one of the crowd, and they were satisfied. And then in order not to waste anything, they picked up 12 baskets full of bread. The Jewish people would have these little baskets, these little uh, small baskets is, is what the word has the idea of, that they would carry to, uh, uh, to make sure wherever they go they could have uh, kosher food. And so they filled 12 of these baskets. They fed this massive crowd and then they filled 12 of these baskets. Now why is this the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels? It's the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. I think a couple reasons. As this massive crowd was being fed, the people would think of the children of Israel wandering around in the desert and God providing them every day with manna to eat. They would remember that God provided for their ancestors uh, for 40 years every day to eat. Uh, and it, and they would think of the other miracles of the Old Testament. Elijah took 20 loaves and fed of 100 uh, men. Uh, but the, the Israelites believed that when the Messiah came, he would also provide bread for the people in, the, in a miraculous way. And so what Jesus did is he showed himself as the Messiah. He showed himself as the Messiah. Now, Jesus made audacious claims. As the more I study Matthew, the more I see the audacious claim. That he's the one we're going to stand in judgment. He's the one by, if we know him or not, we'll, we'll determine our eternal destiny. He makes audacious claims. But unlike a madman, he proves what he's doing by what he says. He feeds this massive group. He takes what his disciples give him, their meager resources, and he shows, Jesus shows, he truly is God of the impossible. So, so he's showing himself to be Messiah. And then it's a kind of a, a foreshadowing of the Messianic banquet at the end of time. The marriage supper of the Lamb. The people are divided in groups, the other gospels tell us. The food's taken, blessed, broken, and given to the people. This is the same kind of language that is used in all four accounts we find in the New Testament of the Lord's Supper. So Jesus is providing kind of a messianic banquet for the people. And he's making a claim to be Messiah in this miracle. Now, he wasn't going to be the kind of Messiah that they wanted or expected, but he was saying, I am Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah and Savior to which each of them uh, need to look and to, to who each of us must look and trust. 
He did what was impossible to show who he was and to show the, the greatness and the glory of God. Is there something impossible that God might be leading you to doing? You know, if we only attempt what is possible, God never gets glory. If we only do what we can do, I'm not saying we shouldn't do what we should do, but sometimes, there are many times God wants us to do, God wants us to attempt something that only can be done because He is working through our lives. If we only attempt what is possible, God will never get the glory. God gets glory and His name is magnified when He leads people to do things they cannot achieve without His power. Now, I'm not talking about positive thinking. I'm not talking about dreaming bigger, dreaming big dreams to achieve big dreams. Uh, I'm not saying bigger is necessarily better. But however, I believe God always leads us to do eternally valuable things. And we can only do the eternally valuable things by his presence and his power. God can lead us to do impossible ministry outreaches uh, or mission task. He oftentimes does. People will tell you God has led them to do things and they didn't have any idea wh- how they were going to do it, but as they stepped in faith and began to follow God, He provided everything that they needed and He showed Himself a mighty God. Um, it might be more than you can achieve, uh, but it's not more than God can do through you and I if we are willing and available to Him. My friend Leo is going to be with us next week. He's going to preach. And he is pastoring in Southern Hills Baptist Church. He was praying and he knew that the small little church, it began to grow and they needed a new building. Uh, Their building was totally inadequate uh, for what was happening. And he was praying about this. But as he prayed, he sensed God said, I don't want you just to build a new worship. I want you to build a gym. He sensed God saying, you need to not build one building, but two buildings. The church was very small. It was, it was growing, but it was still very small. And building one building would have been impossible, uh, hard enough, but building two buildings would be, for this group at that time, impossible. But he sensed God leading him to do that. He shared that with the congregation, and they felt like God was leading them to do that. And they took on the impossible God-sized task and they built two buildings within a relatively short period of time. And during that time, they saw God bless, God grow, God provide, and God bring glory to himself in seeing people saved and growing and seeing two buildings used for the glory of God. Now, I'm not a big builder, so to speak. I've known men that build big buildings and then they left and left empty, empty places. But I'm telling you, God will lead, sometimes lead you and I to do things that, that we, we wouldn't even think about, but he leads us to do to show that he is God of the impossible. We need to make sure he's leading us to do it. We don't need to presume that our dreams are God's dreams. We need, we need, to, we need to ask God what he wants us to do. And we need to make sure that we dream the dream that God wants us to dream. But he will lead us to do the impossible to show that he is great and to reveal his glory. God is God of the impossible and he invites us to join him and to see his mighty hand. So Jesus oftentimes gives his children impossible tasks to show he's the God of the impossible. Something else. 
Jesus often puts us in overwhelming circumstances so his children will know his presence and his power. Now, after Jesus did this fantastic miracle of feeding the uh, 15,000, he immediately made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the word here is very strong. He made them. He compelled them. He kind of threw them in the boat, so to speak. It's very strong language. Why, why is this happening? Well, John 6 tells us that the crowd, there were rumblings among the crowd that they wanted to force Jesus to be their political king. And Jesus thought maybe the disciples, I, I think Jesus realized his disciples, his apostles, they would be caught up in this kind of, uh, this kind of emotional uh, fervor. And, and he needed to get them out of there. So he got them out of there. He sent them, he got them in a boat. And then the scripture says he dismissed the crowd. Uh, Jesus didn't come to be an earthly king. He doesn't come to be a political savior or Messiah. Jesus came to save us from our souls and he came to reign in us and through us. And he is reigning. And one day he will reign forever over everything. But he did not come then to, to just be that political kind of king that they wanted. And so he sent the crowd away. He compelled his disciples to get into a boat. And, and then he, after he dismissed the crowd, he went up in the mountain by himself to pray. Jesus, remember, they were trying to get away from crowds earlier, he and his apostles. He, and so he went up in, in the mountain and he spent many hours in prayer. He sent his disciples across the lake and they were to reach the other side. Um, now they were, you, you remember his disciples were experienced fishermen and boatmen. As they started crossing the lake, a sudden storm happened as was very common on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's the second time they've been caught in a storm. The last time Jesus was in the boat. This time they were caught in the storm in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They were, the storm was beating against their boat and they were just basically just kind of staying afloat. You know, just kind of staying afloat in the middle of the storm. And the word that has the idea of beatings, it, it could even be translated tormented. And sometimes in the scripture it implies a demonic attack. You know, um, and so, you know, maybe the enemy himself was behind this storm that came up. They were stuck for many hours in the middle of the lake, what should have taken them a relatively short period of time. Uh and Jesus was not with them. He was not in the boat with them. Uh, and so they couldn't go wake him up like they did the last time. The scripture says in the fourth watch of the night. Now, when was that? Romans divided basically the night into four watches. Uh, and, and the fourth watch of the night basically was between 3 a.m. and 6, uh, 6 a.m. And so sometime during the, the last part of the night, after his apostles had struggled for hours and hours and hours, uh, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. He didn't do it early. He didn't even do it in the middle of the night. He waited till, uh, till very late in the night before it turned uh, morning, and he came to them walking on the sea. Now, nobody else with Jesus can walk on the sea. Nobody else can Jesus can walk on water that's not ice. Only Jesus can do that. As Lord of nature, he walked on the sea. And when the disciples, when he saw him coming, after, after they were probably fatigued, uh, 
They were terrified, the scripture says. Wouldn't you be terrified? You see somebody walking on the lake towards you. And in their fatigue at that, uh, at that hour of the night, as they were just staying afloat, um, they thought it was a ghost, a phantom. And Jesus said, it's, it is I. Take heart. Do not be afraid. It is I. Now, I want you to think about this. Remember, why were, why were they in the middle of the lake fighting the storm? Jesus had sent them there. Jesus had sent them in the middle of the lake. Now, it is true there are times when we're in storms because we've been disobedient. Maybe like Jonah, we're running from the Lord. And the Lord uses the storms that we face to correct us. But there are other times where we're exactly where God wants us to be. And we find ourselves in the middle of the storm. The disciples were exactly where Jesus wanted them to be. Jesus knew there would be a storm, and he sent them into it. He knew they would be terrified. He knew they would be overwhelmed. But Jesus was training and teaching and growing them. And revealing his power, he was revealing who he was. It's very interesting. The NIV translates, it says, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. It is I, literally, is translated, I am. You remember that phrase from the Old Testament? When, when, God, when Moses said, who shall I tell the Israelites sent me? And God says, tell them I am has sent you. The eternal God who is forever to forever, who has no beginning and no end. Uh, he identifies himself as I am. It's, it's, a, it's an Old Testament name for God. And here, I think Jesus is making a claim to deity here as he, as he says to his disciples, Take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Uh, And so in this storm, Jesus is again revealing himself as the eternal son of God. Jesus is showing that he can take care of them. Jesus is helping them to understand in a better way who he was and who he is. So Jesus came to them at just the right time when they needed him the most. They could trust him. He would not fail them. He is the eternal I am. Do you realize that? God's not going to let you sink, brothers and sisters. You might think you're going to sink, but he will come to you. He will be there for you. He will show himself powerful for you. He will bring you through whatever you're going through at the moment. Now look at what Peter did. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Command me to come to you on the water. And, and you know, it seems like as we read it in English, it seems like he's, he's kind of saying, if it is you. But basically, Peter's saying, Peter did believe it was Jesus. And he said, since it's you, I want to I take this step of faith. Command me to come to you on the water. He wanted to be like Jesus. He wanted to take a step of faith. And so Jesus said to Peter, come. And we often think of Peter sinking, but before he sank, he walked on the water with Jesus. He joined Jesus in the impossible, and he began to walk to him. Because Jesus empowers his children who depend on him to do what no one else can do. 
The scripture says Peter walked in the water. But when he saw the wind, he doubted. The word doubted has the idea of a two-way focus. See, as he's looking at Jesus, as he's walking toward Jesus, he's walking on the water. But as he starts noticing that wind around him, he starts looking at the circumstances, suddenly he begins to sink. Suddenly he begins to sink. His focus was torn between the storm and Jesus. He turned his eye off Jesus and he focused on the circumstances surrounding the impossible command Jesus had given to him. And he began to sink. You know, there are times when God commands us to do things and we begin to do them and things go well. But all of a sudden we look at all the stuff that can go wrong. All the things that are happening around us. And instead of keeping our focus on Jesus and what he's called us to do, we focus on the circumstances and we also begin to sink. Have you been there before? Peter had an imperfect faith. And you know, so will you and I. So will you and I. Doubt will creep in. We'll get going. We'll get started. We know God's working. Then all of a sudden we look at everything that's happening around us. And we start to sink. What do we do? Well, we need to do what Peter did. Peter said, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand. And he took all the people, Peter. And he said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? See, Peter didn't have to doubt. We don't have to doubt either. We shouldn't doubt. But you know, when we do doubt, we can call on the Jesus and He'll reach out to us in those times and take us by the hand and stop us from sinking. Jesus and Peter then reached the boat and the wind ceased. The storm was over. Jesus was in the boat and all is well. But look at what this had taught his apostles. For the first time in Matthew, we see the apostles worshiping Jesus. Now we do see others calling Jesus the Son of God. We do see others worshiping him and bowing down to him. But for the first time his apostles are worshiping Jesus. And Jesus accepts that worship. Now now worship is in the Bible is properly reserved only for Almighty God. We are not to worship anything or anyone else. The Bible says don't have any idols, don't have any false gods. And so the only, the only one who deserves worship is Almighty God Himself. In fact, Jesus, when He was tempted and Satan said, bow down to worship me, He said, you shall worship the Lord God and Him only shall you serve. Here the disciples are recognizing Jesus as Almighty God and they're worshiping and confessing truly you are the Son of God. They have a new understanding, a deeper understanding of Jesus through being in the storm. They see Jesus as the great I Am. They connect Him with the God of of Moses and the God who revealed Himself to Moses at the burning bush. Uh, They see the wonderful way God can work through their life as they exercise their faith. Like Peter did going through the storm. And they also see how they can call on him when they turn their eyes away from Jesus toward those never circumstances and he will lift them up. You see, I don't like going through storms. 
And I really don't like storms, storms, thunderstorms. I grew up in Oklahoma. I remember my parents getting us out of bed in the middle of the night, cause, and we'd go to the storm cellar in our backyard. And our storm cellar was not really a nice place to go to. I don't like storms. And you probably don't like storms either. The storms that happen in your life. But you know, the truth is, I probably learn more about God and how to walk with Him and live for Him and, and learn about His power, for, power and His presence when I go through the storms. That's when I learn who He really is. Jesus puts His children in overwhelming circumstances so they will know firsthand His presence and power in those circumstances. Jesus told His disciples to do something impossible. Feed this massive crowd. He gave them a command. And He knew in their power they could not carry it out. But He also knows that whatever He tells us to do, He will also give us the resources and the power to do that thing for His honor and glory. We have no strength in ourselves, but His strength and power are sufficient. They are enough. Peter did the impossible. He walked on the water. In the middle of doing it, he focused on the circumstances and began to sink. But Peter cried out to Jesus, and Jesus lifted him. Is there something impossible in your life that you cannot do on your own, but you know needs to be done? You have tried repeatedly to do this thing, to break this habit, to accomplish this task that you believe God wants you to do? Is there something like that that you cannot and have not accomplished? Jesus is able to do that if we rely and trust on Him, trust in Him. And so we got to turn to Him. We got to live for Him. We got to obey His commands even when they see, seem impossible. Yes, there are times we begin to do that impossible thing and we sink. Uh, but Jesus is also there to lift us up and to help us when we find ourselves sinking. He is there for us to call upon in those tough times because none of us have perfect faith. He will lift us up and He will again do the impossible thing. He will see that broken and controlling habit and see that task, that impossible task that He's given you accomplished because He wants to glorify Himself. He wants to show Himself mighty in your behalf. He wants to reveal to the world that He is God. Yes, you can see those hungry fed. You can see... You can walk on that water in that tumultuous lake. Believe in Him. Turn to Him. Cry out to Him to save you, and He will. Jesus works through the weakness of people who turn to Him to show His power and to reveal the greatness and the glory of God. May we pray together. If you're here today and God has been speaking to you. Maybe it has something to do with His message. Maybe it's something you just need someone to pray about or, or, or God has been leading you. We have a couple people back there. We'll be at the back. Kathy and Damon will be there to help you if you need to talk to someone. If you need to put your trust in Jesus. If you need to give your life to Him. If you need to believe in Him. 
today might be the day of salvation for you. You know, one thing you cannot do, you cannot save yourself. You won't get to heaven. You won't have eternal life. You won't discover the life that God has for you if you keep looking to yourself. The only way that you can have that life is if you will acknowledge that you are a sinner and separated from God and you cry out to God and ask Jesus to save you and come into your life and be the Lord and Master of your life. You can't save yourself. You won't save yourself. Call out to Him and ask Him to save you. And He will save you. He will save you. Maybe you're there. Maybe you just need to say, Lord, save me. I'm putting my trust in you. You can't do enough religious things to be saved. You can't go to church enough to be saved. But if you call and ask Jesus to save you and believe in Him, He will save you. Father, we love you. We thank you that Lord, in all of our lives, you did the impossible thing. Those who believe in you, you saved us from our sin and you made us your children. And you, and you gave us a desire to live for you and to serve you and to walk with you. Thank you for doing that in our lives, Lord. Lord, I pray that there's anyone here that's still trying to save themselves. Lord, they're out in the middle of the lake and they're trying to save themselves. But Lord, the sea's not going to calm until they turn to you and believe in you and call on you. Would you enable them to do that today? Would you, would you just empower them to say yes to you and give their lives to you? Father, if there's someone here struggling with some impossible situation, Lord, it just seems like it's overwhelming and it's crushing them. I pray that you would give them the grace and the power to realize you are there with them. And Lord, you may have even engineered circumstances so they'd be in that place and you want them to see your power and your glory and your greatness, that you are able. I pray that they would turn to you. I pray, Lord, that we would not, we would not be content to just do the things that we can do, but we would want to see you do what only you can do. Uh, so that your name would be glorified through our lives individually and through our lives collectively at East, as East Madison Church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.